Peter chapter 3. Thank you, Amelia. Boy, I, I hope you're enjoying the wonder of the Christ. I hope you're enjoying the, the joy, the peace, the glory of the Christ. Christ the Savior has been born. And he has laid down his life for our sins. And he's resurrected. And he's sitting at the right hand, the throne on high, ever living to make intercession for us, and pouring out a whole new quality of life right now in our lives. Soon, very soon, I believe, very soon. He's coming. I think the trumpet of the Lord shall sound in a little bit. And uh, I know perhaps what happens is um, we begin to be lost more and more and more in the splendor of his goodness and love. Not in a religious way, in a daily devotional way, in the time that you spend uh, with your own Bible opened as the pages are beginning to uh, show signs of age and wear, just spending a little time in the Word with the Father, rejoicing in the Son, just so wonderful to be able to do this. And then the, uh, and I can't see the words, um, it's becoming kind of a thing here at Tidewater for uh, the offertories to be played often with the accompanying words visible, and I can't see them. Uh, from, but it, good, the good news is I know most of the songs that are being played, and so in, the, in a slightly off-key tune, I can sing them in my mind while they're being played, and it really is a tremendous blessing. Um, I just want to show you, specifically, I believe God would have us to see one thing this morning. It's in First uh, Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. Come on back tonight. Uh, we'll have our evening service. We'll discuss a little bit having to do with the next few weeks going into January, and uh, the uh, the burden the Lord has given, uh, I believe me, uh, to to speak to our church concerning ministering going into uh, 2018. We'll look at together at that a little bit tonight. In 1 Peter chapter 3, let's look at, uh, well, it's hard to say, isn't it interesting? I had John read verses 8 through 18 because I could not find, what I want to talk about is in verse 18, but I couldn't find a jumping in point any closer than verse 8. And I don't really, the problem is if I read starting in verse 8, I'll want to make many comments uh, as we get uh, through those verses, into those verses. Every time we look, every time I've been looking at this now, and remember, this goes all the way back to chapter 2, verse 11, dearly beloved, right? So we're looking, the finally in verse 8 is the last statement concerning the dearly beloved in chapter 2, verse 11. And so you really have to go back and look at that. I, I really don't have time to do that this morning. I don't have time to do that this morning. But I would like for you to do that. And I want you to notice that this, the strangers and pilgrims, which, by the way, was the beginning. Go back, if you would. Go back to uh, chapter 1, verse 1. To the strangers scattered. So the strangers and pilgrims. Um, many years ago, I wrote, many years ago, probably without exaggeration, 30 years ago, I wrote on the top of uh, 1 Peter here, why be a pilgrim? Why be a pilgrim? Why be a stranger? 
And under that, I wrote the key to 1 Peter is hanging at the door. Uh, there's such tremendous benefit to being a new creature. Toads expressed to us right at the very beginning. But by the time you get to where we are, God, I really believe, expects that we have moved past just rejoicing in our salvation. And we have settled into the purpose as to why those of us that are new creatures, why are we here? What are we going through in our daily lives? What's the point of all this? What's the purpose in all of this? We see in verse 8, the, uh, while we're waiting for our Lord Jesus, right? We're waiting for the appearing of our Lord Jesus at the end of uh, verse 7. Whom we have not seen, yet we love him. And whom, though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Looking forward to, by the way, receiving the end of your, your faith, even the salvation of your souls. I don't know. I really don't know that many Christians who are living in the joy unspeakable and full of glory that God wants us to live in. But I, 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 let me say this to you. If you're not, you could be. If you're not living in the joy unspeakable and full of glory now, now, if you're not, you could be. It's what God wants for you. That's really what God wants for us. Now, the irony is we're going to talk about suffering today. And I believe that suffering is not counter to joy unspeakable and full of glory. Not if you understand the suffering. Not if you understand the suffering. Our Lord Jesus despised the shame. He endured the cross despising the shame. Why? For the hope, for the joy that was set before him. He understood the purpose of what he was doing. I think one of the reasons that American Christianity is so shallow, so selfish even, is because we don't understand the purpose of the suffering in our lives. And we want to get away from it as quick as we possibly can. Instead of letting God accomplish in our lives what he actually wants to accomplish through the suffering that we're going through. So let's look at that together. I'm going to go back. I'm just going to jump in. Um, you know, I'm going to say let's start at verse 11. Let's start at verse 11. i got to start somewhere. And verse 11 doesn't have a for or an and or a but. So we'll start there, okay? Chapter 3, verse 11. Let him. Now this is those of us that are new creatures. It comes after semicolon, by the way. So, so it's, not, it's actually the second part of a sentence. Let him eschew evil and do good. Those of us that are new creatures, those of us that would live in the blessing that God would have us to do, let us eschew evil. We're not going to talk about eschew and ensue again this morning. But eschew means to um, loathe, despise, hate, be so fed up with it that you put it down and walk away from it. Amen. It's like that car that failed, failed on you that last time and you just said, you know what, I'm just getting out of the car, getting my cell phone before I walk away and just leaving this car behind. You know what I'm saying? Now, if you do that, by the way, uh, Department of Transportation eventually will give you a call and say, we told your car to such and such a place and you have to go do something with it. You can't just leave it there. So let us just stew evil. Let us leave this alone, walk away from it and not return to it and do good. But let us seek peace and pursue it uh, ensue it, which really the word ensue is a very strong word. Let us uh, persecute is the idea. The idea is to persecute, prosecute. In other words, to, to go after it until we get what we should have here. Some people want justice. I demand justice. Someone in my family has been mistreated and I demand justice. What God is saying is don't demand justice. Want peace and pursue that. Listen, pursue walking with God until you have the peace that passes understanding. That's what God wants for you. And hear me, if you think that's a religious ideal, then you have not entered into what God wants for you. What God wants for each and every one of us now, now, 
right now, in this very day that we're living, what God wants for us is to be able to enjoy a peace that passes understanding. And it doesn't matter what, I mean this with all of my heart, it does not matter what the difficulty you're going through is. God fully intends for you to be so lost in His goodness, so lost in His love, so lost in His wonder that you see these things for what they actually are instead of how you used to look at them. Or more importantly, how the people around you, even Christian people, by the way, are going to talk to you about them. So we see after this, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So those who are born again but want to embrace the selfishness of their life, want to embrace um, strife and vainglory, want to embrace their own petty little ways and ideas, if that's what you want, then God is not really having you live the way you want to. And it says here that the face of the Lord is against that. But... If you'll just simply put that down and walk away and pursue peace and say, Lord, I don't want to be right, as Trish said in the letter that she gave us, I don't want to be right. I just want to walk with you. I don't need to be anybody special because I'm not anybody special. But I would be glad to be a help to anybody that I could be a help to, realizing that if I really am a help to somebody else, it's going to have to be God that's working through me to make me a help to somebody else. And that's fine. That's fine. That's what I would have. And he says, the eyes of the Lord are upon that. And his ears are open to prayers. And who is he, verse 13, and who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? And the answer is, oh, many. This can happen. You can follow after that which is good. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as them that are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. So the government was supposed to, is supposed to watch out for the little man, watch out for everyone. And if you would do right, got, the government is meant to, God has put the sword in the hand of the government to protect those who would walk in peace from those who would keep them from being able to walk in peace. That's the purpose. And you say, well, what if the government doesn't behave itself well? Well, it doesn't always behave itself well. And if that's true, then we're going to have to look past the government to our God, recognizing that whatever I'm going through at the hand of my government, again, you see government first, then you see your employer, right? That's the next thing that God deals with. That's in verse 18. And then when you go down that, it goes to the husband and wife. What, what's worse than going to work in a place where the person that you work with doesn't love the Lord and really doesn't like you? What's worse than that? And the answer is going home where that's true. And it deals with unsaved loved ones, going home to a house that has unsaved loved ones. And God said, I'm more than enough for this. I'm more than enough for the wife who has a terrible husband. I'm more than enough for the husband who has a terrible wife. I am more than enough for all of you. And then finally, right down in verse 8 of chapter 3, finally, when you assemble together, very, very simple, stop assembling together to measure things. Just be of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, courteous. Not rendering evil for evil. When someone makes a mistake and you say, this was not a mistake, this was fully intentional. When someone is fully intentional then and hurts you, don't render evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are there unto called, that you might inherit a blessing. Praise God. So now, it says in verse 14, but... And if ye suffer, I need you to circle that word suffer. This is going to be important to the message today. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, 
but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope, the expectation that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Father, bless us as we spend a couple of minutes now looking into this passage. Please, please open this passage to our minds and open our hearts to this passage. That the truth that is in this passage would get into our hearts and would affect us. Not, Lord, that we would put it on. Not that we would pretend. Not that we would try to apply it ourselves. But that we would be changed in the inward man by this very passage. That the Word of God would be driven home into our hearts and lives by the Holy Spirit, which who alone is able to change us from the inside out. That we might walk this way and rejoice with that joy unspeakable and full of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So it says, um, who's going to treat you poorly if you'll just live peaceably? Right? Who's going to treat you poorly if you'll just live peaceably? And the answer is, well, he already answered that. Uh, maybe where you live, maybe where you work, maybe where you sleep, maybe where you go to church. Maybe some of these people will treat you poorly. Maybe that's what happens. And so he says in verse 14, but... And if ye suffer for righteousness sake, and we know the Bible says those that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So don't be surprised when things don't go well because the people around you are just like you. They're lost or they're saved and they're behaving like they're lost. Don't be surprised by this. Happy are ye. Happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror. Neither be worried. That word trouble there is worried. Neither be worried. But sanctify. And here's the thing. Please look up here. I don't, I don't know when. I really don't know when. But sometime, I would say, honestly, I'm going to say in the last five years, maybe it's the last three years, in my life personally, I'm 53 years old. I hope it doesn't take you as long as it took me. I've begun to not measure the goodness of God by whatever's going on around me at all. Not at all. I've, I've begun to become very aware. Of if, if, if I'm suffering, if I'm in my suffering, meaning I'm wrestling, I'm worrying, I'm concerned, I'm anxious, whatever it is, angry, whatever it is, if I am one of those things because of the circumstances in my life, that's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. It's my fault. That's my fault. This is not why this has come into my life. Years and years ago now, uh, well, you've heard John Crabbe John Crab say it here, um, before it came into your life, it went across God's desk. Before it came into your life, it went across. Boy, I tell you, that helps me so much, right? You know, here's this, here's this tragedy, whatever it is. Here's this really difficult thing. And, uh, and, you know, in my life, it often comes by text message, email, or phone call, okay? Seldom does somebody actually come to my office and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you about something that's really difficult. Typically, in the age in which we live, it's done by email, text message, or phone call. That's the initiating part of it. And then I drive to where they are, we drive, meet somewhere, and we talk about it. But here's that thing. Before it came into your life or my life, it went across God's desk. And God looked at it and said, this is for Chuck. And so the nail-pierced hands put it in your inbox. The nail-pierced hands. Can you question the nail-pierced hands? 
Honestly, I mean that, you know, can you, you can, I do it all the time, I should, but I'm learning to stop, right? Why would I question the nail pierced? What does he have to do more than he's already done to prove his love for me before he put that into my inbox? And here's the thing, what I'm beginning to learn about what's going on by these things being put into my inbox is they're not actually for me, primarily. They're not really actually for me. And we're going to see that in the passage that we're looking at right now. But if ye suffer, and this is the idea of suffer, but if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, nor be troubled, but sanctify. Stop judging God for their actions towards you. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asking you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Notice our response to those who would marvel at the peace that passes understanding in our lives. There's no arrogance in it. There's not, oh, you know what, I'm writing a book on this now. Here's the how-to of how to live in peace when you're going through difficult circumstances. Allow me to enlighten you. What does it say? With meekness and fear. God gives you tremendous victory, great victory, and no longer judging God for the difficulty, nor being angry with those who brought the difficulty into your life, but giving you a peace that passes understanding, and you find yourself rejoicing, and they ask you the question, what is the difference in your life? And you give them an answer that's an answer with meekness and with fear. Let me tell you what God has done. Right? That's what it says, yes? Sanctify, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to just anybody that wants to ask you what's happened in your life. And you can say, you know, this is a difficult thing. You're right. What's going on is difficult, and God knows that it's difficult, but His grace is sufficient for me in this. Now, here's the real problem with this. The vast, and I mean this with all of my heart, the vast majority of American Christianity has to pretend when they say that. And here's the thing. The people who hear them pretend know that they're pretending. So it does them no good, right? Because they hear your answer, and this is what they hear. Blah, 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 religion, religion, religion. But if they can see a peace that passes understanding, if they can see a selfless love in your eyes for them while you're talking to them, I'm telling you, I'm, without any, with, Jesus said, and if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. When they see, when they see God sanctified in your heart, when they see Christ lifted up in your life, when they see what God has done in your life that is real and genuine, they will say, I gotta have whatever it is Bob's got. Whatever it is he has, I don't have, and I need it. Now, they may even be a new creature. You know, my sister, she's not going to, she's probably listening to this, maybe now even, but she will listen to it later, and I don't think she'll be angry with me. I'll tell you if she is. Hold on. She seems all right so far. She was saying the other day, she said, and this is what she said. She said, I don't have enough peace or joy in my life, and it makes me ashamed. And I thought, oh, what a terrible place to be because the lack of peace and joy and the shame that comes from it is kind of like a terrible circle, if you understand what I'm saying. Because the lack of peace and joy that brings the shame causes you to have a lack of peace and joy, which brings more shame. And I remember, I remember this. I think I've shared this with you guys before. I remember I had uh, bleeding ulcers and, and they were so bad uh, that I had to go see a doctor about it. This was when I was a young engineer. And, uh, and I went to talk to one of the deacons about the fact that, you know, I was asking him, I was asking him to pray for my physical well-being. And this is what he said. Well, you're, you're worried. 
And I said, yes, I am. And he said, well, don't worry. Worry is sin. And I thought, thanks, that helped me a great deal. <laughs> so now not only am I a lousy engineer, but God's angry with me because I'm sinning by being anxious about being a lousy engineer. Do you see what I'm saying? Listen, you know, uh, somebody else said this to me. It's a very similar thing uh, yesterday. And my response was, just tell God that. Don't tell me. Do you understand? It's not the way it's supposed to be in my life, God. Just tell him. Well, I don't know why you're holding it behind your back. I don't know why you're trying to hide it from the rest of us. Just tell him. Sanctify him. Set him aside in your life. And say, God, I'm sorry that I doubt your goodness. What is wrong with me that I would doubt the one who has the nail scars in his hands for me? What is wrong with me? Lord, I need you to give me this, this peace that First Peter is talking about. I need you to give me, I need to be a stranger. I need to be a pilgrim in the world that I'm living in, just passing through, praise God. Amen? Anybody getting a hold of that? I'm really starting to get a hold of this. I'm only here for a little, I'm like, I'm not, I would call it vacation, but it's not much of a vacation spot. Right? I'm just here for a little while, honestly. I mean, those of us who have ever been deployed understand what the fact that the, this deployment is going to come to an end. Yes? Well, this deployment is coming to an end. And I can't wait for this deployment to come to an end. Honestly, I mean that. And it's not that I don't love you guys. I just want you all to be with me when it comes to an end. But this deployment's coming to an end. But while we're here, our suffering has tremendous purpose. That's what this is saying. Now again, you circled this, right? Back in verse 14. But and if ye suffer. So sanctify God while you're suffering. And have a good conscience. So when they talk to you, you can just tell them about what God is doing. And as they speak evil of you as evildoers, you may, they may be ashamed to falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And here's the thing. I know I use the word jerk a lot, but I think it's important. Because to me, there's nothing worse than that, right? There's nothing worse than being, because being a jerk means this. You meant to do that, right? Right, do you understand? It's one thing to just fall short. It's another thing to choose to stand up and exercise your will in such a way that you hurt somebody else with it. That's just wrong. And God says, if you're going to suffer, don't suffer because you're a jerk. If you're going to suffer, be a kind, loving, caring, selfless person, and then suffer. And that's okay. And say amen. You say, well, how about we skip the suffering part? And this is the thing, honestly, you can't. You can't. But why not? Well, that's what verse 18 is going to tell us. Since we began with a, with a verse that came after a, a colon, let's end with a verse that comes with a colon. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened in the spirit. Now here's what I want to ask you. I want to talk to you about the suffering itself. Let me, look up here, please look up here. It's an important, very, very important question. What is this suffering about? What is this suffering about? What was Jesus suffering about? How were you, how, what did Jesus do to pay for your sins? 
What did he do to pay for your sins? We'll, we'll, we'll turn this into Sunday school. Actually, even a Sunday school that has an answer time in it, right? And you can't just say Jesus or Bible. You've got to have a little bit more than that, okay? What did Jesus do to save you if you are saved from your sins? What did he do? And everybody's going to answer. I need one person to raise their hand. Nobody now wants to do it. Go ahead. He shed his blood. He shed his blood. Yes? He laid down his life to pay for my sins. Yes? Now, here's the thing. The value of that life, is that important or not? Yes, right? The value of the life that he laid down is important, right? If I said, well, you know what? I'll lay down my life for your sins. Would that be any good for you? No. You want to know why? Because I can't pay for mine. Never mind, pay for yours. So someone who's perfect is going to have to then lay down his perfect life and take my wrath for me and give me his righteousness instead. Amen? And that's what Jesus has done. So then where does the suffering come in? It's the blood, right? right? The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Does the suffering of Jesus cleanse me from sin? No. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from sin. Then why does he suffer? Here's the thing. Here's the th I want you to picture this. There's all of this sin on the Lord Jesus Christ. And God says, everybody get a stick and hit Jesus for a while. Just keep hitting him. All right, that's enough. He suffered enough. Now your sins are paid for. Nope. Do you understand? He didn't suffer to pay for your sins. He suffered because he lived in a wicked world. Do you understand? But his response was right. Do you understand what I'm saying? No, you don't. I didn't for a long time. I don't know how to say it. I just said it and you didn't get it. Let me say it again. Pay attention. His suffering didn't pay for your sins. He suffered because he lived in a sinful world with us. Right? We made him suffer. Do you understand? Right? Pilate didn't have to beat him. Did they have to beat him? They didn't have to beat him. Did they, did they have to spit on him or pull out his beard? Did they, have to, did they have to do any of those things? Yes or no? No. He had to die, though. Right? Now, it was prophesied that they would do those things, but it isn't the suffering. It's the blood that paid for our sins. Amen? Yes? But it was his response to the suffering that matters to us. Yes? Because if he had responded the way you and I would respond to suffering, he would have done one of two things. Run from it, right? Or turn around and face the people who are causing it. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't that have been a fearful thing for everybody that was causing suffering in his life? Do you know who I am? Right? Don't treat me like this. If you treat me like this, I'll respond. And God says, by the way, to Israel in the Old Testament, because I'm not like you, Israel, you're not destroyed. Because if God was like us, he would go like this. That's enough. It's enough. I'm not, I'm not putting up with you anymore. But that's not how God is, praise God. Right? But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were chasing him down like a dog and beating him to death, he was loving us instead. Yes? It's the response to the suffering that causes us to rejoice in watching. Now, let's, you want to you you see this with me? Here, let's go look at this. Turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. I got lots of time. Amen. It's still Sunday. Luke chapter 23. This is such a, such a tremendous truth. Luke chapter 23. Turn to verse 38. Luke 23, 38. 
And the superscription, this is our Lord Jesus on the cross. And the superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. Why? So the whole world could hear it and read it. This is the king of the Jews. Amen. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, answering him, rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto, the, unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Amen? Amen? Is Jesus suffering on this cross, yes or no? Honestly. Has Jesus, are, Jesus has suffered physically so bad, so, so badly, badly? I think that's right. Suffered badly, so yeah. He suffered badly. Sorry, I'm just learning English. Suffered so badly that he literally fell down carrying his cross, right? You know that, yes? Right? Jesus is carrying the cross beam to his cross, and he's carrying it, and he's walking along, and they have beaten him so badly already that he physically cannot walk to Golgotha with his own cross, and he falls down, and somebody else is going to finish carrying it for him, right? So is he suffering or not? Yes, yes. Yes, he is. Suffering at the hands of mankind? Yes or no? Yes. Is he going to suffer at the hands of God the Father in just a minute when he's hanging on the cross? Yes or no? He's going to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And who's really being forsaken there? Me. Right? Yes? He's going to have my sin on him and God the Father is going to forsake him when he has. Why? Because God is going to judge him for my sin. And praise God for that. Because I could not take that judgment. But Jesus can, praise God, take that judgment. But I'm telling you, it's going to be remarkable. But here he's not suffering the wrath of God. Here he's suffering the wrath of what? The creatures that he created. That's absurd. You understand that? Can you imagine making, rolling some Play-Doh figures in your house? Right? Rolling some Play-Doh figures, and they're running around chasing you down and beating you up. I'd be like, squash, 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 squash. Right? You're not doing this to me. Do you understand? But that's not our God. That is not, I'm telling you, it's amazing what we're seeing here. Our God, now listen, what we are seeing is this. While they're beating him, while they're crucifying him, while they're railing on him, and we don't have time to go look at all of it, while they're railing on him, while he's hanging on the cross, he is loving them. And you want to see it? Go back just a few verses from here to verse 34. Luke 23, 34, and let's read it together. Then, so let's look at the context, right? Let's go back to Luke 23, It says, and Jesus said, Father, well, let's go back to verse 32. And there were, there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. That's these two criminals. But I'm, I'm just, let me look up here for just a moment. I'm sorry. This is a really important truth, though. Listen to me. I don't care whether you agree with me or not. I'm telling you the truth. You are one of these two thieves. You are one of these two thieves. You're dying in your own sin and you deserve it. You can either die yourself in your sin, or you can trust Jesus for your salvation. Right? All of the world is represented on those three crosses. Jesus is the only one that's unique. All the rest of us are one of those two thieves. 
you understand? And what you do with the one in the middle is going to decide your eternity. And at the judgment day, if you reject Christ and you go to hell and then the lake of fire, this truth you'll hear on your judgment day. You do not have to die in your sins. You are dying in your sins right now if you're lost. But you don't have to because you can turn to Jesus and say, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Please forgive me of my sins. And he wants to forgive you. That's why he's dying. Verse 33, and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, and here's what you want to know, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And while he's saying this, they parted his raiment and cast lots. They're gambling for his clothes. And what's he saying while they're gambling for his clothes? Father, forgive them. Amen. Listen, I, I hope you can rejoice in that. I wish you'd get up and just run around maybe for a minute. Honestly, honestly, Father, forgive them. While they're gambling for his clothes, while he's hanging naked on a cross, paying for our sins, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I believe it's the difference in the thief's life. I really do. I believe he sees this, and this is where I believe the suffering matters. Do you understand? So, Because we're talking about why do we suffer. And here's the point. The suffering in the life of a Christian is not perfecting the Christian to go to heaven. It's not. It's not even really just conforming you to the image of Christ. The suffering in our lives, I believe, is so others can see how we respond to the suffering in our lives. Because as they see the difference in our life, they can say this honestly, whatever you've got is better than what I've got. And you can say, well, what I've got is Jesus. Amen? What I've got is the Holy Ghost living inside me. Amen? And I don't have to do weird things to prove it. Amen? I have to be able to have the fruit of the Spirit pouring out of my life. And guess what? That's the work of the Spirit to do in my life, and He's doing it. Amen? That's what God is saying. Let's look on a little bit. Let's go down to verse 44. Verse 44, back to where we were. Luke chapter 23, verse 44. So the Lord Jesus has just spoken to this one and said, Today you shall be with me in paradise. And verse 44 says, And it was about the sixth hour. And there was darkness. John talked about this. This is supernatural darkness. The sixth hour is the middle of the day, and it's going to be dark for three hours. This is supernatural darkness. While Jesus is dying for our sins, while he is paying the, pace, the price that he just promised would forgive that one thief, while he's doing that, it's dark. And the sun was darkened, verse 45, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Amen? Boy, I mean, I'll tell you what. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if just one of the priests that was in the holy place, because this, this, this is the veil between the holy of holies and the holy place, yes? Wouldn't it have been wonderful to have been a, to have been a priest that understood what was happening while Jesus was hanging on the cross and to bend into the holy place and to watch the veil rip in half when that happened? Can you imagine that? And realize the way to God is now open because Jesus has paid for it. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine that? Here's the veil, by the way, from the top to the bottom, ripped in half. And you're, the, and, you're the, and you're the Levite in the holy place when it happens. And you just look and you think, I can walk right in. Amen? And listen, listen to me, Christian. Every day of your life, not by your good works, but by the blood of Christ, by him paying for your sins, you can walk right into the holy of holies. 
and be received. We can come boldly, to not arrogantly, not flippantly, not cavalierly, but boldly. Having a full confidence, Jesus purchased a way for me to come and talk to you right now. And brother, my, and, and Lord, my brother is hurting. My sister is hurting. There's something going on terrible in their life. They need you to strengthen them, and I can come here and talk to you about it. Amen? Praise God. The veil is rent. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father. By the way, I'm not going to belabor this, but Jesus crying out with a loud voice shows us that he's not dying through, from crucifixion. Okay? Do you know how you die from crucifixion? Most of you probably do already, right? You know how you die from crucifixion? You suffocate. You can't breathe anymore, right? And so before you suffocate, you reach the point where you can't lift your body up anymore and take a breath. And so you do not have enough in your lungs to breathe. Surely you don't have enough to cry out loud. But Jesus does. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean he didn't have to lift himself up to be able to put enough uh, air in his lungs to be able to say what he's getting ready to say. And it doesn't mean he didn't feel all of the painful agony that it took him to lift himself up. But they didn't kill him. He laid down his life. They meant to kill him, but he laid down his life. How do we know that? Because he told us before they did it. Yes. He said, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down. I lay it down. Amen. Our Lord Jesus is laying down his life right here. Some of you didn't say amen. I don't know if you understand that. You, understand, you need to understand this. You can't kill Jesus. He has to lay down his life. Notice what he says. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, what's it say? He gave up the ghost. Now notice what happens as a result of this. Now when the centurion saw what was done. Who's the centurion? Anybody want to tell me who this guy is? Who's this guy, the centurion, that's introduced to us in verse 47? Who is he? Anybody know? You don't know his name. I'm not asking you to get, some of y'all like panicking. Really? I didn't know he knew this guy. What is his function? Let me say that. Yeah, he's just a guard, right? He's just there. He's just there to make sure that Jesus doesn't get away, right? Now, here's the irony. I, I'm sure they always had guards to make sure that the people being crucified didn't get away. I don't imagine many of them ever did. But if there's anybody you want to make sure doesn't get off the cross while he's hanging there, it might be Jesus. Amen? So he's standing there watching all that's going on to the Lord Jesus. And what does he say when he's done? What does he say? What does he say? Certainly, this was a righteous man. How did he know that? How, do we, how did he know that? And this is the answer. By the way he suffered. Yes? By the way he suffered. Suffering matters. But how Jesus suffered didn't matter for Jesus. How Jesus suffered mattered for the centurion and the thief on the cross. This is the purpose of suffering in the life of the Christian. As we go through our life and people treat us poorly, how we respond has nothing to do with our salvation. The blood of Christ cleansed me from all sin, not my well-behaved conduct you understand if you listen hear me listen please hear me if you think treating people well who are treating you poorly adds one thing to your salvation you don't have a good salvation salvation is through the blood of christ period only but since i am a new creature yes since i have the holy spirit living within me the power now to live differently is there praise god 
Yes? And I delight in the law of God after the inward man. The, new, the, the fact that I'm a new creature has changed everything. And the Holy Spirit allows me now to behave differently when I'm treated poorly. But for whose benefit? Theirs. Theirs. And maybe not theirs. Maybe they're not ever going to care. But somebody else that's watching is going to care. That's what's going on in our lives. You want to see this one more place? When we'll be done. One more place. Go, back, go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. All the way to verse 54. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Stephen is giving a testimony about who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ. Yes? Amen? Jesus is the Christ. And guess what? Stephen knows it. Stephen is so sure of it, he's getting ready to die for it. They are going to kill him, and he doesn't care. In fact, he's about to say, guess what? That Jesus that I was just telling you about, I see him standing up right now in heaven getting ready to receive me. You guys want to finish this stuff? Hit me in the head. Amen? Stop hitting me in the body with these rocks and hit me in the head. When they heard these things, him testifying, they were cut to the heart. By the way, when you preach the gospel, it has one of two effects. It either causes people to repent or people to get angry, one or the other. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said... Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And you're going to learn more, much about this Saul later, right? And they stoned Stephen. What is he doing? Calling upon God and saying, Get him, Lord. That's not what he says, though. He says, Lord, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's dying pretty well, isn't it? Can we live well? Right? The passage says when people treat you poorly and you suffer for it, and you suffer the way you should, your heart attitude will be just like this. Right? Let's go back. Turn back. We're done. Turn back. I need you to see this. Because I need you to see what it says in verse 9. So we're in verse 18, right? For Christ has also suffered, once suffered for sins. Right? This is talking about our suffering. Yes? This is not out of context. Very clear the context. The same word that's used in verse 18 for suffer is the same word that's used for suffer in, in verse 17. It's the same word, word that's used for suffer in verse 14. Okay? So our suffering is clearly being compared to Christ's suffering, and the purpose is what God is showing us. This is why you have the suffering in your life that you have. But notice what it says in verse, um, verse 9. Not rendering evil for evil. Now look up here for just a moment. Did Stephen render evil for evil? Yes or no? No. Not even close. Not even close, right? Right? <laughs> I just want you to picture this. They're stoning him, and he's looking up. I see Jesus. Yeah? I see Je Jesus standing up. I don't, I don't know if Jesus stands for everybody, 
But Jesus is standing for Stephen. And he looks up and he says, I'm, I know, I, I, you guys, some of you think I'm just being weird. Hit me in the head. You know, let's get this over with. You know what I'm saying? Jesus, I see, Je look, I'm about to die and I'm okay with that. Father, don't judge them for this. Can you imagine? Listen, I, I know what I'm going to say and we'll be done. I really believe if Christians conducted ourselves the way that we're supposed to, I don't believe that anybody who goes to hell would go to hell for anything that they did to us. You want to know why? Because we don't want them to. Do you understand? I don't want you to suffer for what you've done to me. And if you do, I think you're wrong. God, just give them what they deserve for what they've done. No, no, don't give them what they deserve for what they've done to me. Did Jesus say that? What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What does Stephen say? Do you think they knew what they were doing when they were killing Stephen? I think they knew what they were doing. They were rejecting that Jesus is the Christ, and they were Oh, listen. He wasn't killing. He didn't have a gun. He wasn't, didn't have a, a, a bomb vest or anything like that. He was simply saying, let me tell you, Jesus is who he says he is. And they said, we don't want you to say that. But he is. Yeah, don't say that anymore. But he is. Okay, well, that's terrible. You need to leave. That's not what they said. Stop saying this or we'll kill you. But he is. He is. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. He did pay for my sins. That's all I'm telling you. Kill that guy. And this is what he says. Well, don't, 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 Father... Don't lay this to their charge and take me home. Amen? Now, that's it. That's the end of the message today. But let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Where you're sitting this morning, do you, do you realize, or has this helped you to realize that the difficulty that people are bringing into my life has come into my life for their benefit so that they can see me not respond the way they would respond if I treated them the same way? Yes? No? Do you understand? This is, I'm telling you, this is what God is wanting to, this is the whole point, going all the way back to dearly beloved. I beseech you as strangers and as pilgrims, right? What to say? Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And their lives are full of fleshly lusts. That's why they're treating you like this. That's why this is happening. And, and you can say, Father, don't lay this to their charge. And you can treat them kindly. Now listen, if you can't, if you can't, then either you're not saved or you're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. One or the other. But I'm telling you, Jesus can do it. And you say, well, of course Jesus can do it. Stephen can do it. That ought to quiet us right there. Oh, yeah, Stephen did it too. Right? And what were they doing to Stephen? They were treating him a little poorly. Right? Nope, they weren't treating him a little poorly. They were, treated, they were mishandling him about as poorly as you can be mishandled. And all he was trying to do was tell them that Jesus is who he says he is. And they were killing him for it. And he said, it's okay. I'm okay with this. Because I want better for you than you want for me. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the truth that you have shown us today from your word. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you suffered because of sin. And that it is your desire by your behavior, your response to being treated poorly by this world, that they would see you differently because you are different. And Lord, it is your desire that you would make us different so that when people see the difference in us, they would say, we are different. And we would say, yes, we are different, but we didn't do this. Jesus did this. He's the only one with the power to do this. And I thank you, Lord that you've given us. You said it is expedient for you that you would go so you could send the Holy Ghost to live within us so we could have a power within us, not just a teaching around us, but a power within us to live the life that you'd have us to live, that people would be able to see a tremendous difference and themselves be born again. 
Lord, I thank you for this truth. I ask you to bless. I thank you for the time you've given us together this morning. Be honored and glorified throughout the rest of the month and all that's coming. In Jesus' name, amen.